Welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we continue our partnership with the Whitechapel Society 1888 in releasing their guest speaker talks from their bi-monthly meetings, conferences and special events. The following is the guest speaker from the October 2018 meeting of the Whitechapel Society, John Malcolm. John is the author of the books The Whitechapel Murders of 1888, The Mystery and Manipulations of a Victorian Tragedy, Confessions of a Ripperologist, which is available to read in its entirety on casebook.org. And the recent book, The Whitechapel Murders of 1888, Another Dead End, as well as articles in Ripperologist magazine, Ripperana and the Casebook Examiner. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Sue Perry in the Chamberlain Hotel in the East End of London, introducing John Malcolm. Right, it's, it's our great pleasure to introduce to you this evening John Malcolm. Uh, and actually, this is a guy that actually needs no introduction, really, but I will give him an introduction. And of course, I know of John Malcolm, but I don't know John Malcolm. So what I did, I, I did some research on the internet. John's looking a bit worried now and, and is heading for the door. Now, Hal Brown... Uh, in February 2010, posted something he called Five Questions with John Malcolm. I read on. And question seven said, I'll let that sink in for a minute. No? Okay. Five questions, and this was question seven. All right, it wasn't that funny, really, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and, John, uh, sorry, sorry, and Hal Brown said, this was question seven. I, I don't even remember this, John. It says, uh, briefly, because some people here might like to know what the camaraderie is like at the Whitechapel Society meeting, and he puts, not me, I'm just nosy, can you describe your experience or your experiences there? Okay, now, John is looking really worried. It's all right. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. And this, this is what John said. He said, as I've only been to one official meeting and one interim... I've missed out on lots of fun. I've had the good fortune to, of being able to hang out with a handful of society members the last several trips over that way, meeting up with them at the pub on off nights. I'm not quite sure what an off night is, really. but uh, This may sound corny, but everyone I've met and shared pints with feels like family to me. Ah, uh, I wish I could see them more often. <laughs> They're all genuinely good people, and the Whitechapel Society 1888 is a great organisation that I expect always to be a part of my life. Uh, everyone interested in the case and the history of the East End should spend some time checking it out if they haven't already. Well, wasn't that absolutely lovely? In response to that, uh, Rob House called him a true gentleman and scholar. Somebody else said, who was just a set of initials, so I didn't know who that was, but this person said, in John Malcolm we have one of the most eloquent, informed and trustworthy of commentators on Anderson. A lot of the questions prior to that have been on Anderson. And, and you can add to that, he is a thoroughly nice guy. So I concluded from that that John Malcolm is known for three things. Being a brilliant writer and researcher, being a much-respected nice bloke and having the best head of hair and beard in Ripperology. <laughs> so if you could please give a very warm welcome to Mr John Malcolm. All right.
right. <laughs> Thank you very much and good night. Thanks, definitely, um, Ruby, for asking me to speak in the Whitechapel Society. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really cool to be here tonight. Um, first off, it's, uh, it is wonderful to finally have a chance to speak at a Whitechapel Society meeting, uh, something I'd always hoped would someday actually happen. So again, many thanks for actually making this uh, an event for me, definitely. It's, it's, it is a big deal. It's kind of similar to an experience I had back in the year of the centenary of the Whitechapel murders. Not, not, um, not exactly, but similar. I first started playing music when I was about 15 years old uh, in my second year of high school. And it was a dream of mine to someday play on the stage at the small town Raymond, New Hampshire uh, high school that I'd... That I'd uh, gone to in front of my friends. It took seven years, which was an eternity back then, but a blink of an eye these days. But uh, although I had graduated four years earlier in uh, 1984, I found myself on that stage at a show with my first real band, the Bottled Goblins. <laughs> anyway, I took full advantage of that opportunity then, uh, as I hope to today, with and in front of my friends here in London. Um, I hope to engage you in a little reminiscing, a little reflection, and also share some observations. And after the schmaltzy bits, uh, I'm going to force upon you a short hit-and-run bootleg uh, quality home movie. Uh, a couple of clips from inside the infamous Ten Bells uh, from nearly 20 years ago. Some blurry screen grabs from around that time from various filming adventures in the vicinity. And they're probably less blurry than my memory is from those times, but um, it'll just be a tiny sample from those archives, uh, much of which has yet to be properly preserved. In the meantime, now I've had, I don't know, 10 months or so to come up with something interesting to talk about for today. But I have to admit, I really couldn't come up with anything. Uh, I've had a long time to think about it, and I always seem to have something to say. Uh, so it should have been a piece of cake, but it hasn't been. I actually wrote all of this on the Megabus on the way here to, from Cardiff. No, seriously, only, only about half of it. Uh, but I'm here in front of my friends, my people, so here goes. The first memory uh, that I can recall regarding Jack the Ripper came around the same time as my first show with the Bottled Goblins uh, at Raymond High School. Uh, I had to come up with a Halloween costume, and uh, Jack the Ripper sounded like an appropriately sinister character to bring to the party. At the time, I hadn't even realized he was a, he was a real murderer. Um, and as, as I couldn't find any uh, depictions of what I had perceived as this fictional character, no, no Googling back in the Stone Age, uh, I settled for Plan B. Uh, so I dolled myself up as uh, that friendly droog Alex uh, from A Clockwork Orange, uh, an equally repulsive character. Um, and when I look back now, it really creeps me out about the similarities between the actions of this fictional character of Alex and a horrific event that signaled the start of the very real Whitechapel murders. Uh, for those who have seen Stanley Kubrick's Murphy movie of uh, Anthony Burgess's novel, uh, you may recall the scene where the gang brutalizes a woman, not the, f not the first in the tale, um, uh, but this one results in the apparently unintentional death of the victim. 
without going into the, the graphic details, uh, there is a striking similarity with the events that transpired in the early morning hours of April 3rd, 1888. Um, Emma, Emma Elizabeth Smith was brutalized in much the same way. Um, but this talk is really supposed to be somewhat, somewhat lighthearted, so I apologize for the digression. Um, it does, however, tease the metaphysical side of me a bit, but I'll try not to get too nutter on you today. Um, but in 1993 was the year when the real Jack the Ripper came into my life. It was also the year that two orphans came into my life. And according to the veterinarian, the two abandoned kittens uh, were about four days old. Uh, Thelma and Louise is what we called them. Uh, they would have been celebrating their 25th birthday on roughly the 21st of last month. Uh, sadly, Thelma left us four months shy of 20 in 2013. And Louise, uh, eight days after her 21st birthday the following year. And one quick little thing about Louise. Every Friday night for about 15 years, she had to have a sip of Bailey's. And she did... The, the, on, her, on her birthday before she passed. It was just a sip. I mean, my, my wife and I would uh, go to the liquor store on, um, on, on every Friday and just buy a, just, just a little nip. And uh, they always knew it was, it was for the cat. Well, my wife drank most of it, but, um, <laughs> but Louise, had a, Louise had a few sips here and there. And uh, um, we learned as she got older to give her a little less uh, because at the beginning, we thought it was entertaining to see her just stick her face in the glass and start lapping it, lapping until her literally her ears folded down like Yoda. Uh, anyway, that's not part of the script. I just uh, you know, had, to, had to tell that. that um, I, I had envisioned my first talk in front of the Whitechapel Society uh, to be about some serious or technical aspects of the Whitechapel murders. Uh, but as it turns out, it's much more fun to talk about my cats, so I thought that maybe we'd forget <laughs> about all the boring murder stuff and just talk about 25 years of adventure, introspection, and exasperation with Thelma and Louise. But on second thought, there, there were no moments of exasperation, so I'll have to fall back on something more fitting of the title of this presentation. But I really would like to take this opportunity to talk um, about not some serious or controversial theory, suspect, or utterly unmentionable ex-assistant police commissioner, um, but just look back at what has transpired in the, in the last 25 years of my interest in the Whitechapel murders. Not the last 25, the entirety of the 25. Uh, you can all breathe a little easier now uh, because I'm not going to try to convince anyone of anything along those lines um, or anything at all for that matter. Uh, I won't be theorizing or pontificating, so instead I'm going to try to relate my perspective as it pertains uh, to some of the changes as well as some of the things that have remained the same uh, when it comes to ripperology as well as the East End. I'll try to keep the sappy sentimentality to a minimum, as there will be plenty of time for that later through last orders and beyond, I'm sure. I will, however, weave in some personal experiences along the way. Um, I should explain the title of this talk, though. The adventure part might provide the juiciest bit, uh, as adventurous this trip has really been for me. Unfortunately, a lot of the wildest adventures I've had here in East London uh, either have disappeared from memory or, to protect the guilty, must remain private. 
On the other hand, some of these memories have been captured in photos and on film. Uh, some of the tamer and less incriminating of these records I intend to share at the end of this. Um, as for the introspection, uh, many of us have similar stories to tell, especially those who live here as opposed to the occasional interloper uh, like me. Um, in many cases, getting involved in ripperology has led to truly life-altering experiences. Lifelong friendships have been forged, uh, the ardent marriage as well. Um, some of you know that uh, in one of the many serendipitous moments, uh, I was introduced to my future wife in Leather Aprons, uh, supposed old haunts, the City Darts, formerly Princess Alice, of course. Um, but our, our, our fascination with the story and the history of the Whitechapel murders goes well beyond uh, the technical details of the crimes and the players. Uh, some of us are lifelong East Enders. Uh, some of us are from neighboring cities. Some of us have traveled far from home to be here and to be involved. Some of us were drawn to here by chance, others through clearly defined paths. Some of us have been here since the beginning of modern ripperology, as I see it, um, with the formation of the Cloak and Dagger Club. Uh, hats off to Mark. Uh, some of us have only been here a little while, uh, the rest of us uh, having jumped aboard the train somewhere along the way. In the meantime, a lot has transpired, which leads quite conveniently to the exasperation part. Uh, dizzying and disorientating circular arguments about the murderer or murderers, who, who they may have been, how many victims were killed by the same hand, whether or not it was handled appropriately by the police, and so on, seem to lead nowhere. Um, the nonstop flow of implausible suspects continues unabated, which is something I find particularly exasperating. And also, something that is difficult, if not impossible to talk about without getting too heavy, is uh, the sad and regrettable deterioration of uh, once, what once felt like a relatively small, tight-knit community of like-minded, if varying dramatically in opinion, uh, ripperologists. Uh, to some extent, this must be looked at as an inevitable outcome, as a field interest and uh, totally unnecessary competition uh, continue to expand. Um, uh, th uh, that's about as far as I want to go with addressing the elephant in the room, um, especially as that particular animal has more important business up the road. Uh, Mickey Mayhew uh, has a great article in the April Journal. Um, in his uh, Mayhew's musings, uh, schism that tactfully um, attacks that, uh, not attacks, <laughs> tackles that, that subject. Uh, doubtful I need to say more. Other than that, I'm sure many of us have shared these feelings at one time or another. Um, so with that unpleasantness out of the way, uh, let's get to the good stuff. And yes, there is no shortage of, of good, bad, and ugly, um, but I'd like very much for the good to come out on top here. Um, first, I'd like to talk about the state of this part of the East End. Uh, my first trip here uh, was in 1995, and uh, probably not much had changed uh, between then, the previous 10 or 15 or 20 or more years, as, as far as the neighborhood goes. I, I could be wrong. Uh, but change has accelerated rapidly in the, in the time since my first visit. In the first few years, the area seemed stuck in a gloomy, ghostly, and sticky kind of state. In the daylight, the streets were busy with traffic, although dirty, drab, and generally unappealing. 
after nightfall, though, the area around Commercial Street especially seemed to be transformed into something else entirely. You might bump into the odd character here and there during the day, but the later it got, although eerily quiet, uh, things could get really interesting, if not downright strange. Uh, not, not a place that uh, would appeal to a tourist, uh, but to a fledgling ripperologist, it could be like being stuck in some dark time warp of a dream. Uh, not much uh, had remained by then of, of, the, of the buildings that had stood in 1888, uh, except, of course, the few blocks around Fournier Street, Wilk Street, Princeless Street, um, which definitely seemed trapped in time and in the sh shadow of Christ Church. Um, of course, that's, that, that's been around for, for, for a long time. Uh, it, it was probably advisable back then not to do much blind exploring, uh, so I generally just loitered about inside the Ten Bells until I was booted out. Uh, a few years later, though, after becoming friends with um, the seemingly few actual locals who frequented the, plub, the pub, uh, as well as the barmen and the barmaids, I got my backstage pass. The manager, uh, the first time uh, I went to the pub, it was named Fife, uh, but later uh, the barman I knew was Dave took over, and I was soon blindsided uh, by a series of adventures uh, that would most definitely change my life forever. From 1999 until early 2002, I was a regular squatter, allowed to roam the place top to bottom, all hours. I even had my own key to the front door, which I still have. It probably doesn't work anymore, but uh, uh, it gave, uh, definitely gave a new meaning to the traditional shut-in. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, nowadays, I can hardly look at the place, uh, much less go in for a drink. Uh, there were a good fa handful of pubs to pop in and out of uh, that my new friends and I frequented of varying degrees of respectability. The City Darts, the Pride of Spitalfields, the Blind Beggar, the Grave Morris, uh, Old Blue Anchor, Urban Bar, Good Samaritan, White Heart, Golden Heart, Commercial Tavern. You could go on and on. And, and geez, vats and vats and vats of beer. And loads of gaps in memory also. It was probably just about as much about the beer and the buzz as it was about Jack the Ripper. But there you go. And uh, you'll notice that beer and cats are, are a recurring theme. And they're going to be right, right to the end. So, so you'll have to bear with me about that. Uh, initially, I, I just wanted to work off a few notes and just ramble tonight. you know. But I'd probably just keep rambling well beyond last orders until... Until I, you know, got to the beer part, or, or after I got to the beer part, so I'm going to try to stick to the script, uh, but I'm not done with the beer part just yet. Uh, in those days, there were fewer choices, but you knew what you were getting, and you were seldom disappointed. Fuller's, which I spilled on myself right before I got up here tonight, uh, Guinness, the occasional Thigston Old Peculiar, the typical imported generic lagers. Uh, back then, uh, no Guinness at the Ten Bells. Uh, Murphy Stout was what you drank there. Uh, I've seen people walk out empty-handed uh, when confronted with this, but uh, good riddance. It was, it was my pub. And uh, if, if, if I ever write another book, it should be just about those few dazed and confused years. Uh, I'd surely have to change some names, though. Uh, nowadays, you, you still get Guinness, Fuller's, and the generic lagers, but no sign of Murphy's anywhere. Uh, I've had it from a tin, uh, but it's, it's pure swill. Uh, maybe it was out of the tap back in those days, too, but it, it, tasted, it tasted like heaven to me. 
Um, today, there are almost too many choices. Don't get me wrong. You can find some really, really good stuff. Carpenter's Arms uh, in Cheshire Street always has some, some prime choices. But more often, you get 99 gimmicky variations of the same American hops-heavy IPAs. Not my cup of tea. I moved 3,500 miles to get away from American hops. And that's the, that's the only reason I'm here now. Is because, And they just... Uh, they got here before me, and they just won't leave me alone. But uh, uh, the, the pubs in the neighborhood have undergone uh, some radical changes as well. Uh, a few have remained, at least for the most part, unscathed. Pride of Spitalfields is, is, uh, is one of them that comes to mind, uh, whose character is still intact. Uh, some, like the Ten Bells, have really transformed. In 1995, the only consistent trade the pub did was either at lunchtime when the builders or city workers would enjoy a pint and the barrel strippers, and, <laughs> which <laughs> I was totally unprepared my first, my first time I went there for that, absolutely, completely blindsided by that. Uh, God, yeah, yeah, that was a, that, that was a shock to my system. I, you know, amongst the keychains and the yeah. ball caps and the T-shirts and things like that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Either way, uh, and and other than that, it was it was just a, a couple of ripper tours back then. There there was a handful, a small handful, and um, of course, in between, you know, after the after the second row of strippers, then you'd have the tours come in. Don Rumbelow's tour, uh, he, you know, he was. I still have the 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 paper that he wrote the address to Ripperana down for me in there uh but it was it was it was it was really it was really strange because in the daytime there's nobody in there all of a sudden the lunchtime strippers come and you've got builders and and office people and then it would be dead and then the strippers would do a second one after that uh the 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 little makeshift state, the little fold up stage that they have, the, the, they would get rid of that. They would take the sign that said strippers um, out of the front and light candles in uh, Jack Daniels bottles around to make it into the, you know, the thing that it should be for the for the tours that came uh, came through. Um, and, uh, you know, then it was just I mean, they would just just pack in there for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes um, to, to see a true Victorian relic. Um, then all went quiet again. Uh, now, it's, now it's neat and tidy inside and out, even with a new bar. Uh, busy all the time. Maybe you might have an, uh, a slow time during a weekday or something like that. But uh, the spirit, uh, to me, has left the building entirely, replaced by bevies of neat and tidy hipsters, trendy clones, and a disturbingly vacuous atmosphere. And Jack the Ripper has been banned entirely and has been for years, which uh, I, you can see good in that. You can see bad in that. I don't know. You know, I'm a little sentimental about that myself. But um, sadly, many of the pubs of the day have gone. The Grave Morris, the Alma, uh, recently the Still and Star, and very recently uh, the Duke of Wellington, uh, just to name a few. And, uh, yeah, and as a side note, one that should go... <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, uh, if you're ever uh, around up Shoreditch Way and uh, you happen to fancy a pint in the Spread Eagle, stick to the cold lagers or bottled beers because I had the most absolutely horrendous beer I have ever tasted in my life. It was a Doom Bar, which I think I think Doom Bar is a pretty pretty decent beer when you have it you know i mean well, that's just my opinion but uh 
went in there and <laughs> they didn't have much of a choice. I didn't like the lagers. The lagers give me a headache the next day, so pint of doom bar. And uh, <laughs> you knew I, it got about two feet away from my face before I knew there was something wrong with this beer. And the closer I got, I realized when I held the, the glass that it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't even room temperature. It was in the middle of summer, but this thing was hot. It was like they had microwaved it. I put it up towards my face and it was just it was just you could tell it was off, but I'm like, well no, maybe I'm off, you know, who knows? And so I dared to take a sip, and it was the, it was the most repulsive, sour thing that I've ever had. And it was hot too. I mean, it was literally hot. It was like mulled wine or something like that. And and I've never ever brought a beer back to the bar before. Said there's something wrong with this. You know, I'm learning as I go along to, to work up my nerve for that. But this one was just it was it was really beyond bad. So I brought it up to the barmaid, and I said, um, you know. I, I think there's something off about this beer. You know, I felt really horrible about it. I really do. I just hate wasting beer. I think if I don't like it, I have to drink it anyway. But this was, there was no going back from this one. And she took a sniff of it, and she uh, took a little straw and took a little taste, and she says, no, it's just warm. <laughs> so Spread Eagle, don't, don't get the Doom Bar in there. Even in the middle of winter, I'm afraid that I can't recommend it. Anyway, I went off. I went off a little bit, but uh, uh, <laughs> and it's not just the pubs themselves that have been affected. You know, the physical landscape of the area, the demographics, and the aura itself have been altered beyond recognition. Uh, the city continues to infringe like a slow-moving wall of molten lava, and with it rides in a bizarre form of gentrification. Uh, it's become an artsy mecca for the young, privileged, and spiritually needy. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot I do like about the New East End, though, uh, and there's still many pockets that that haven't changed much since the 1980s. Um, down Whitechapel Road, uh, toward Mile End, and in some of the side streets, uh, but their fate seems sealed. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, and most of my friends uh, who lived there in those times have moved away. It's become incredibly expensive to live there. Um, the smell of money is intoxicating for those who have the good fortune to be able to wallow in it. Uh, but I miss the native grunge and grime for some reason. Um, and, and now, because the building can't go any further outward, uh, the only room it has to grow is up. And it gets taller and taller all the time. You can't escape the shiny and often grotesque new wave architecture, uh, which sometimes seems to make a mockery of the once dignified two, three, four-storied buildings, which are vanishing daily. Spitalfields Market, uh, although retaining much of its outer charm, has, has given over its soul, too. Uh, once a hidden treasure of a hidden treasures, now it's more like a giant food court with props. If you, if you didn't if you didn't know it back then, um, I can understand the appeal um, today. Uh, but it, despite its suffocating and cramped bustle inside, uh, to me it's just a shell uh, of its former self. Uh, I, I remember Magpie Books. I remember you could go in there. I used to load up on incense. You could. I mean, there was truly unique things in there now it just seems like i mean there's still there's still some unique things in there but uh uh it, it just it's not what it used to be magpie books there was uh, i i will always regret this i went in there and saw they had a copy of i caught crippen 
and it was prob I think it was probably 60 pounds or something like that, that I was like, well, this is kind of on the periphery. I wasn't yet into the, into the, the, the police and all that enough <laughs> until in later years, I realized how much it costs to get a copy of this book. Uh, I, I did eventually years later get one and, uh, then it, uh, it had a, I had a mis misfortune, uh, and it's not quite in the shape that it, it was when I bought it, but that's, that's a different story. Um, maybe I'm being too sour grapes about this all, but the good old days are gone and they're not coming back. Uh, so I do need to get a grip. I still love it here. I just in a different way, I guess. Some things uh, may never change about the area. Uh, no shortage of uh, zombified dregs these days, creeping and lying about. But even that seems to have elements of being somehow trendy as well. Uh, uh, but uh, no, slumming ain't what it used to be. Uh, as far as ripperology is concerned, uh, there seems to be many striking parallels uh, to the current landscape. Uh, and the demographics of the East End. And in some ways, they have followed a similar path. Some things seemingly haven't changed. Some have changed for the better. Some things had that we had grown attached to have been infected and corrupted. Uh, I, again, will try to tread lightly here, uh, but some of this has been difficult not to take personally. Um, uh, even even the, the trend of uh, facadism can draw some <laughs> interesting parallels here. Um, but I'm going to uh, divide ripperology, uh, the ripperology bit in, into the technical side and the personal side, if you will. Uh, first, the studies of the Whitechapel murders uh, have greatly opened up, have been greatly opened up thanks to the Internet uh, with digitization. Um, <laughs> when I was I was doing this uh, <laughs> the other day and I was just kind of reading through and I could not say the word digitization. I, I tried about six times, and I just, I'm like, you know, I've, I've got to find a different word put in there. But thankfully, I, <laughs> I breezed right through like I knew what I was doing. Oh, I'm not going to say it again, though. Uh, it, you know, making so much more available to researchers uh, and social media, which, although flying wildly out of control at times, has, uh, has made connecting with other ripperologists that much easier. Uh, good outweighs the bad here, in my opinion. Uh, of course, it gets really hard to keep up with uh, all that's going on. I certainly can't. In the old days, or at least from where I started, uh, there was the Cloak and Dagger Club and its newsletter. There was Ripperana, uh, and there was Casebook, Jack the Ripper. Uh, Casebook was truly mind-blowing. Uh, it still is. Uh, but a tall and shiny Ripper city has been built up around it. And like the East End, some of it is architecturally impressive. Some of it's bloated and unpleasant. And, and uh, not long after Casebook, uh, whose message boards I devoured entirely, almost every day. I mean, literally reading every post constantly. I mean, obviously, it's a little different today because you have to not have a job to be able to d keep up with that. But uh, uh, Jack the Ripper forums uh, took a little heat, heat off and uh, offered an alternative and a good one. Uh, Casebook I still consider as the most vital online repository for information, and I still jump between the two message boards uh, regularly. Uh, these days I can't stay long uh, because it really t tends to do my head in. 
but I am grateful for their perseverance. And, and speaking of perseverance, uh, Ripperana still shows up on my doorstep regularly. A lot of people don't even realize that this thing still exists. Um, and, and it still brings a welcome spark when it does. Um, but as for the Cloak and Dagger Club, uh, its metamorphosis has been truly remarkable. Uh, almost like what has happened to some very influential progressive rock bands, uh, such as Yes, King Crimson, um, Deep Purple. They're not really technically progressive, but uh, all of these, all of these uh, have experienced a revolving door of members, uh, changes in direction and dramatic ups and downs. Uh, but like the Cloak and Dagger Club, um, they've all persevered and remain true to their spirits and uh and they're all still around too i'm actually i'm actually seeing king crimson uh on halloween uh back in wales uh, of course the the cloak and dagger club has evolved into the white chapel society always will be the white chapel society 1888 to me uh, its newsletter evolving into the mighty Ripperologist, which has since taken flight as the premier Ripper publication, um, being ably replaced by the Whitechapel Society journal, journal as the voice of the former Cloak and Dagger Club, however. Um, other periodicals have come and gone. Uh, some will be missed, some won't. Uh, but as we can clearly see, the core of the spirit of the old days lives on, uh, represented here in this room. Uh, there, are, there are, however, uh, very dear pieces of that core who, who I wish were here with us today. Uh, some have passed away. Some have drifted away. Anyway, uh, I, I won't get too much into the social media aspects, but it's a bit too much like the Wild mess West for my taste. Um, but it's a product of evolution and something that's not going away anytime soon. So about the, uh, about the technical side... One thing that has stubbornly refused to change is the fact that we still, after all these years, can't put a name to Jack the Ripper, the Whitechapel murderer. Uh, not that many haven't tried, and, and we're still trying. Uh, but instead of just beating our heads against the wall, debating the same old names, uh, some have decided that grasping at straws can be somehow more productive. And Ripperology has a side business as a straw factory, so as far as the search for suspects goes, it's as crazy and demented as it's ever been. Um, I mean, I love, I love books, uh, especially books about the murders and the East End and an ever-expanding periphery, um, but it really has spun out of control. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are, there are some really, really good works that have come, come into the light in the last few years, and a good many in the pipeline. <coughs> Swanson... Um, but it's but it's easy for, for the best stuff to be trampled underfoot uh, by the running of the bullshit, if you'll excuse my language. Uh, another thing, the, the, the uh, Ripper orthodoxy. Uh, is there really a Ripper orthodoxy, you might ask? In some ways, I think so. Take the canonical five. Uh, although there has been some slight sh shift in thinking, uh, most having to do with reconsidering the murder of Martha Tabram, it still is generally acceptable, uh, generally acceptable to believe the, w the women from Mary Ann Nichols through Mary Jane Kelly were slain by the same hand. Uh, lingering doubts about Elizabeth Stride persist, but they seem to be fading. Uh, more generally, the belief is that the police were completely at odds about who the murderer or murderers might have been. And this might be seemingly the most uh, stable foundation of propping up 21st century ripperology. Um, uh, hence the reason why the search has gone off in, in so many directions. Um, 
I'm not necessarily inclined to agree with that particular orthodoxy, but uh, much new information has come to light uh, since the beginning of my adventure. A lot of it clarifying details, uh, a lot confounding this dilemma even further. But But much of how we approach the subject of the Whitechapel murders remains the same. Are we on the right course, though? Do we ultimately share a a purpose? Uh, Should we try to kill the myth, or should we continue to feed it? Uh, My suggestion would be to suck it up, stay calm, and carry on. Uh, I'm not sure if I can adhere to that philosophy, but uh, I'm going to try. Uh, And and something (laughs) something I was trying to avoid with this talk today was too much self-indulgence. Uh, but in that respect, uh, it should be obvious that it's, it's too late. Uh, I, I had no intention of getting too personal or sentimental, but uh, I recently uh, reread an article I had written for Ripperana a handful of years ago, uh, and it struck me that it echoed a lot of what I was hoping to somehow communicate with you today, uh, if only on subconscious or subliminal levels. Uh, so I've decided to share that tonight. Um, after this, we'll get to some snapshots in time via PowerPoint and the projector and the last-minute heroics, <laughs> um, and hopefully ending this presentation on a positive note. Um, now, an essay that's certainly not flawless, but I believe accurately reflects the premise of my presentation night tonight. I'm going to to read, and I had no intention of doing this, but it, it just, it just, I, it feels appropriate. So uh, uh, this, uh, this article that I wrote in 2011 was called uh, Aaron Kosminski, Jack the Ripper, Schizophrenia, and the Snake Man, uh, subtitled a series of personal entanglements. entanglements. For some, the pursuit of the Whitechapel murderer has perhaps been a lifelong endeavor, for others a passing fancy, and for one, at least, an emotional roller coaster whose merciful ending is nowhere in sight. It certainly is self-indulgent to put forth a first-person account of the implications of an obsession with a 120-plus-year-old murder mystery, but the following will be such an account. It began inauspiciously enough uh, about 1993 with the realization that Jack the Ripper was, in fact, the name given to an unknown murderer and not entirely a fictional creation. One thing led to another, and I eventually found myself in Commercial Street on the hunt for the ghost of the Whitechapel fiend. I had left my two young cats uh, to be looked at. Hey, we go back to cats again, but uh, um, to be looked after by a good friend while I was away. Dave, also known as the Snake Man, was an intelligent former school track star with a talent for writing and a keen interest in hearing the details of my macabre quest. This began a cycle of trips to the East End from New England, uh, obsessive reading, and on my return and in between, long conversations about the facts, the theories, the suspects. Stretching the limits of my credit with these obscure pilgrimages was a difficult thing to explain uh, or for most of my friends and family to understand. I didn't fully understand it myself or even partially for that matter. Uh, But but there you go. A million pints of Murphy's at the Ten Bells, which became my home away from home on every journey. Countless drunken staggers over the killing fields of the Whitechapel murders. Uh, Trebles with cheese from the van outside Christ Church. Early morning visits to the Market Calf and um, 
numerous self-surreal encounters with characters larger and smaller than life became the meaning of my alter existence. It all led to a few less-than-professional articles relating to the crimes and a self-published rambling account of my thoughts on the Whitechapel murders. But more importantly, through mutual friends, I had been introduced to my future wife during a late-night piss-up at the City Darts. Uh, and she was a Polish immigrant with no special interest in Jack the Ripper, but an East End resident nonetheless. This is where things on some ridiculous cosmic level began to make sense. By this time, my thinking had led me to the conclusion that the murderer, too, was a Polish immigrant. So things from there got even more interesting. Was this all about a subconscious search for a soulmate? Maybe it wasn't about Jack the Ripper after all. So back at home, my friend Dave was in for even more nonsense than he had bargained for. Um, now 2011 brings us yet another book about the murders and perhaps to the horror of many Ripperologists, a suspect-based book at that. Jack the Ripper and the Case for Scotland Yard's Prime Suspect by Robert House has been foisted upon the ever-so-jaded field of Ripperology. Sighs, rolling eyes, and thus far, very little reaction otherwise have accompanied it. Uh, for the calloused and blinkered veteran of the Ripper Wars, this is maybe an unwelcome and redundant exploitation of a previously kicked-to-the-curb suspect. But for I, of my personal island, it has brought together a number of previously disconnected thoughts and circumstances, the depths of which I can only hint at. Not to mention, this book is, in my opinion, one of the best books on the subject ever written. And no, I admit not a scrap of objectivity in stating this. Several, several years previous, uh, while Jack the Ripper and the case for Scotland Yard's prime suspect was taking shape, I had the good fortune uh, of becoming acquainted with the author, who coincidentally lived only an hour's drive from my own residence in the Northeast U.S. Uh, Mr. House's research and writing was particularly interesting to me, as it was to delve deeply into the enigmatic character Kosminski, here identified as one Aaron Kosminski, his people and their circumstances. Also, the book was to explore not only Aaron Kosminski as a potential murderer, but his most likely, if general, diagnosis, of course, before the term was coined, of schizophrenia. At this point, I hadn't yet realized the significance. And as intrigued as I was in considering Kosminski as possibly the Jack the Ripper, his and his family's circumstances, pieced together with difficulty, became to me a sobering side story. Uh, to boot, we find Aaron Kosminski's grave to be located in a Jewish cemetery just down the road from where my future life was living. On our second attempt to enter the burial ground, uh, surrounded by eight-foot uh, brick walls, topped uh, fences topped with barbed wire, complete with placards warning of guard dogs, uh, we succeeded as, as the gates were open. It was a beautiful, sunny, and peaceful day, uh, a perfect day, in fact. And standing at the grave, the thoughts and images rained down. It can't be. It couldn't be. It, it probably isn't. Whether or not this Kosminski was a killer became less important. Undoubtedly, it was a sad and embarrassing saga for the family. Of course, that being said, there's nothing of a tangible nature to connect the wayward son to any crime more heinous than walking an unmuzzled dog. So back to the snake man. From the early days of our friendship, uh, Dave had shown slightly paranoid tendencies, uh, nothing serious, often mildly amusing. 
As the years passed, several scary episodes were related to me by my friend. Suspicious people, sometimes driving ominous black cars. I started following him, watching him. He could only guess at why, as he had never been involved in any shady dealings. A few years ago, Dave's behavior became increasingly erratic, increasingly paranoid. He didn't use drugs. In fact, he was a teetotaler. And then the voices started, clear as day, clear as a bell. At first, it was just a voice calling his name. Then it was full sentences. He knew the voice. It, it was a woman he had become infatuated with, uh, communicating in the only safe way she could. You see, she was involved in some trouble, probably with an ex-boyfriend, but surely with some sinister and occult group who had learned to communicate amongst one another, and now with Dave in this way. Might this have something to do with the phantom followers in the black car? When a close friend of 25 years looks you straight in the eye and tells you he hears voices, uh, voices loud and clear and not audible to anyone else, it's, it's difficult to rationalize. Uh, Dave began researching supposed telepathic experiences, digging deep enough to encounter those who believed in the seemingly impossible method of communication, who suggested it was more science than myth. I tried hard to believe he was on the right track, but reason eventually got the better of me. At the same time Dave was sharing this information with me, I believe he, he trusted only me with this. We perused drafts of, and the case for, working title, Deemed Insane, kindly supp supplied by the author for feedback, etc. It was during this time I started making some disturbing connections, uh, hoping it was a product of my own overactive uh, over imagination. Uh, sadly, it wasn't. My friend's increasing, unpredictable behavior interfered with our regular visits, and it would soon come to pass after several unsuccessful attempts to procure, procure professional help, he was temporarily committed. Uh, shortly after his, relief, he took, uh, his release, he took his own life. Uh, and this gut-wrenching culmination of events, all, all in some way connected to my fascination with the Whitechapel murders, brought me, at very least, a moment of clarity. For as dramatically as my life has changed in these past 18 years, my cats, Thelma and Louise, were born in September 93. A very obvious and definite answer to the question, who was Jack the Ripper, has descended upon me from the heavens. And it is with great mixed emotions that I wish to state emphatically, it doesn't matter. And that's how the article ended. So even though I may have failed when trying not to be too self-indulgent tonight, the hope is at very least uh, this might inspire some of us to put aside the details, the debates, and the disagreements, if only for a minute, and sober, soberly reflect on what this all has meant to us individually, collectively. Um, well, I don't mean sober, literally. <laughs> um, but uh, now, maybe some comic relief. I have a few slides to show, a couple of short little movies. Uh, you'll have to forgive the, the quality. Um, I won't go into the technical hassles I had, but it was converting digital to analog, doing screen grabs, not having the right software, blah, blah, blah. But I do have a little thing to show you um, and might comment a little bit. I don't have any notes to go along with these. I'm just going to rattle through some slides and... and and things, and you might be able to get uh, at least a, a rough idea of, of anyone who, who hadn't experienced, like, uh, for example, the 10 bells 
what it looked like, you know, 17, 18 years ago. So let's see. These were all from, I have hours and hours of video. Uh, I, I couldn't edit it properly. I couldn't, I couldn't get really quality stuff out of it. I would love to just stay here and just force you to watch hours of my home movies, but we, yeah, we won't do that today, obviously. Back in the day, the, the, the toilets were actually uh, upstairs. Uh, the stripper pole was over here. This is the other, this is the abbreviated version of my thing. There we go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, there is sound that goes with this, but you'll have to imagine the creaky stairs and the creaky doors and things like that. This is a little bit better uh, than the screenshot because you can actually, it's a little more clear. And this was uh, 1999, back when the, uh, when the bar still had, uh, the, the, you'll, you'll see this, this bar here. Toilet was still upstairs. There was a, there was a piano there, yeah, in no, no, no. about 90, 1995. I have an I have an audio recording of us banging on the on the on the piano. Night in there when we had some French girls in there. Um, not, not the ones that performed in the daytime. Oh, no, no, different. I know the tourists, <laughs> yeah. French teenagers, and they were tourists, and one of them was persuaded to get on the piano, and we all sang out. I, I, I didn't have to be persuaded, but it wasn't really very musical, it, what came out of that. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the, the pub's really, it, it looks nice on the inside. It's clean. It was never, I don't ever remember it actually being clean. But, but you can see that the, the, how, as far as, you know, you want a haunted house kind of thing, this is, uh, this is absolutely unreal. But of course, you have to imagine the creaking stairs. In the original video, there's, you can hear these. Every step you took was just like out of a horror film. And so I'll just, I'll just whip through a few, uh, a few of these slides. And at the very end, we'll, we'll definitely have some comic relief, unfortunately. Although it's really just, I mean, <laughs> nobody but us would understand what that means. This, this is a view from into the backyard, into one of the little small, there's this little tiny, tiny room in the pub. It's got like two stairs down, very narrow fireplace, really tiny room, and this is out this window, looks into the backyard. That's the room, it's not a very good picture of it, but. Oh, that, and this is actually, I, I threw a couple of random things in there. This is actually the old city darts. Um, which is it doesn't it does it Culpepper's now I mean again it, it's really nice and bright and clean and sparkly but it's it's not the pub, it's not the pub that I know another view I had to put it in here because it's another view we'll we'll never see again again I mean who's you take this home to show your family and say isn't this beautiful <laughs> they'd be like yeah it sure is and that's 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 after they'd taken the top the top part. Um, off of the bar again it just it looks it really looks horrible but uh you know i didn't i didn't see it w that way this is uh dave the barman and i tossing an american football around back and forth in there we have a nice video of this another random shot the urban bar on the side the intern uh, the um working lads institute Of course, that's one little, yeah, I, unfortunately, I didn't get any really good stuff, but 
that uh, that has kind of a a nice. I hear there's a, there's a they've destroyed the building and kept the facade. I haven't I haven't been there today, but. This is what happens after a long night at the Ten Bell, staying there. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill the Cat, resident of, this isn't mine, this is Bill the Cat, from, that was the resident house cat um, at the Ten Bells, who lived a long and happy life. He actually spent his last days uh, in, in Wales. They moved him, and this cat had been bounced around and bounced around. And uh, 17, I think, he, uh, he lived to the ripe old age. I, have, I did an interview with him, actually. I have that on video also, too. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have 21 T-shirts from the Ten Bells of varying <laughs> styles. I've mugs, keychains. I've got all the tacky stuff, the stuff that people frown upon these days as, you know, but to me, you know, I, I have no shame in saying that, yes, I have, I've got this stuff. You remember they, they used to serve a drink called Ripper Tickle? That was before, right before I started going there. Yeah, I've heard about tickle, it. Yeah. Legend only. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was one time called the Jack yeah, was, yeah, was, that was before me. It was about what was it? It was probably about eight, it wasn't eighteen. I mean, nineteen eighty-eight that they changed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know it carried on and sold all the junky little things that. That's the uh, that this I believe is the I keep pointing to the screen like you look you seeing what I'm seeing but I guess you are. This is uh, the room directly above the bar. And I think that's where the restaurant is now. I haven't, I haven't been up in there. And you can see Bill the Cat's eyes in, the, in there. <laughs> and uh, I would love to have had played you tonight this whole entire video because it's absolutely crazy. Unfortunately, I can't. And this was, who knows, this was definitely a shut-in. This was well beyond uh, the, the closing hours. You can see the chair in this guy's hand. There was like a whole bunch of people that I didn't know um, that were staying in Brick Lane. Uh, and apparently somebody knew somebody to, to let them in. But it, uh, and this is inevitably the end result. People crashing to the floor, which if you watch it in slow motion, it's brilliant. And we had, uh, when the Ten Bells changed ownership, um, we had permission to, there, there, was, there was two lofts, two sealed lofts, uh, one of them that was broken into um, a, a few years previous that they actually found a few kind of old things up there. The second one hadn't been broken into, but we had permission from the people who were selling it to actually <laughs> cut through the ceiling and climb up in there to see, you know, it was like Al Capone's vault, and the, and the result was exactly the same, too. And I was elected to climb up there on the, on the beams with the flashlight and, uh, and do my archaeological <coughs> explorations. That's from the roof, and that's all I found up there, other than a little scrap of a newspaper from 1966, which is slightly disappointing. And then it's no, uh, you know, no wonder why I went home and had the worst case of respiratory <laughs> infection I've ever had. I have to breathe in that soot 
and all that stuff. But hey, we wouldn't have these slides if I didn't do that. Um, is, is that my time is up? <laughs> it's my, uh, my buddies, um, Dave and Chris and some other guy. I don't know who that was in there. But Don Rumbelow actually took that, took that photo. And this actually is the door that leads to the roof. I did, the the in, inside of this place is just, it's, it's just it, I would love to have several million pounds to invest in it. And now, finally, I get to the end. Uh, this is a little, uh, <laughs> a video that was directed by uh, my friend Chris, who was uh, the brother of my friend Dave. And this was the same night that we had the, the videos of those crazy people downstairs throwing chairs around and dancing on tables and he had this idea because I had my big clunky um, digital 8 video camera he said let's make a movie he said I'll just do what, do what I say uh, you'll miss a little bit because this, there's some nice creepy stair creaking and stuff like that but you won't miss the foul language that happens at the end but this is, this is the end I promise you this little 5 minute video um, and uh, here we go Starring me and Bill the Cat and Nobby the Ripper. Uh, another one, a good friend who uh, sadly is not with us anymore, but uh, he, he made his screen debut and it was, a, it was a smashing success, at least for the three of us anyway. And that's the end. Thank you very, very much, John. I'm sure we've all got lots of questions for you. I certainly have. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think we'll stop now uh, for a short break. If, if we can get back for 20 past, that, that'll be excellent. So if you want to recharge your glasses and uh, see you back in a little while. Thank you. Right. Well, can I just thank, uh, on your behalf, uh, John again for an excellent presentation. And I love the cat. I just love the cat. Yeah. So, do we have any questions? I'll kick off with a question. Uh, we have a number of members of the Whitechapel Society are, who, who are from the States. Um, what is it, do you think, that Americans find so fascinating about Jack the Ripper when uh, the United States has so many serial killers of its own killers? I, th I think that I think the time period has a lot to do with it too, because if you look at you know it's such a serial killing is such an epidemic in the in the states, and and there's n absolutely no way to romanticize that. Whereas if you if you look at the dramatizations of uh, the the, Mer the Jack the Ripper stuff, you go back to the earliest Hitchcock movies and things like that. There there's there's this element. Um, not just of uh, of murder, but there's 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 atmosphere. There's so many factors that go in, and and also, I mean, I mean, for me, just being uh, a, a foreigner when it comes to comes to this, you know, there, there's also that allure of, you know, this is this is a different, not only a different time, it's a different culture. They're different people. There's something inherently interesting about that. I think. In that and you add all those ingredients together, and uh, you've got you've got the mystery, you've got the 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 not really romance, but it's it's sort of kind of has that kind of ro those romantic kind of connotations, and uh, and I think you know being from the states, I mean you see you see that kind of uh, romanticized thing, and it's. You forget about the brutality of the murders, and I think it's easier to draw people in when there's something 
other than that that kind of comforts you into uh, accepting it to, to some to some extent, and you think that the mystery kind of uh, transcends the, act- the the realities of it, and especially in in uh, uh, y- how you perceive it, because what you generally what people the, their first exposure is some kind of dramatization. As opposed to, uh, you know, I'm studying serial killers, I'm studying uh, crime, I'm studying this and, and whatever. And you've got these dry facts. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a combina- it's, a, it's, it's a combination of things. But I think being removed and, and not being, you know, being in a different culture, I think that has a, an extra added allure to, the, to it as well. And can you remember the first time you took an interest in... Jack Ripper on the east end of London. Oh, we don't want to go there. Okay, perhaps not. Uh, no, no, we can't. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, it started with the the Halloween costume thing. It was the first time I remember it. Uh, the 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 story that I'm, I anyone who's sat after hours with me has probably heard this story a million times about how uh, uh, my serious interest came came to be, and it was. I had uh, my ex-fiance back in the day had bought a house, and that's one reason why we're exes because it wasn't uh, it wasn't something financially that was a wise thing to do. And she just you know whatever she's happy now. Either way, she bought this house and it came with a piano. And I was wondering I've been, I've been playing music for you know thirty just thirty something years, and uh, I don't play piano. And I always thought that, well, someday I'm just going to do something with this thing. I was only there for a few months. I mean, it wasn't really, didn't, didn't, uh, wasn't a long-term thing. But I, I didn't know, still up to that point, didn't realize that these murders were actually real. I still thought it was, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Jack the Ripper. It's all the same. And uh, there was, flipping through TV channels, as you do, there was, there was a, a documentary, a Jack the Ripper documentary, and I, to this day I don't know which one it was, but something struck me, and it was it was, and I don't even remember the exact words, but it was it was something along the lines that uh, uh, Mary Kelly, last victim of Jack the Ripper, and this spark happened. I'm thinking, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna take and go to this piano and write a song, an instrumental, and just title it Mary Kelly. For no particular, it just it was one of those creative moments. You're like, okay, I've got some subject matter, even though it's not going to be any lyrics. I'm just going to take this old piano and beat on it. But to try to be technically correct, I wasn't sure how you spelled the last name Kelly, whether it was K E L L Y or K E L L E Y, which is much more rare. But if I'm going to write an instrumental on a piano, an instrument that I don't play, and uh, I, I at least wanted to be able to back up that story and say, well, you know, and not have someone go, well, you spelled her name wrong. And so, and I don't remember which book I went to first. I mean, that's what started it. And I, I got one book, and I don't remember what, I could narrow it down to three or four, but, but it just came in a flood. And it went from having to just, this, this little whim to do a, a bang some uh, dissonant chords on a piano uh, in tribute to a victim of a murderer who I didn't even realize was a real uh, person. And uh, 
yeah, that that uh, it was just from there. It was just uh, I, I went bananas. I went I, every book, everything, everything. It just it just it all came to, and that was that was uh, had to be ninety three because I moved out of that place in January of ninety four. So that's uh, that's why I relate it to the same year my my cats were born. But uh. Uh, John, uh, apart from the the house book, is there any other particular book that you think is uh, basically better than? Than any any of the others, or it's suspect book or otherwise. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, uh, the uh, yeah, suspect. Sus, you know that 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 can be really that can, it can be a really dodgy kind of thing. Uh, overall, uh, the um, Stuart Evans and Keith Skinner's the ultimate Jack the Ripper source book. There's no question to me that that there's nothing that will ever eclipse that, and that has to be to me. If you're interested in this and you don't have that you're not going to get the right perspective because that is it's it's just it's just the facts there are no uh th th that's it it's dry it's difficult uh um, the one that most people like is the sugden book did you the book i have read as a matter of fact and that as far as a narrative goes uh back to 1994 i think was the first printing of that I think that that stands the test of time. That was a groundbreaking, influential. I have a particular issue with that, and I have uh, um, I've written things about it that have that have kind of even caused friendships to break up because I think had Sugden not been pressured into putting his his. Chap the, the later chapters about suspects, that book still today would hold up to anything. What well, still does, the narrative does. I mean, it's just it's just brilliantly researched, and and it, it is no question that that's that's at the top of my list. I do just have a particular issue with uh, some of the things that were included, which I know you could just tell by 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 uh, by reading it that they were haphazardly kind of just chucked in there at the end because I'm sure the publisher said. You got to talk about suspects, and I think it really, in my opinion, hurt the book overall because it kind of tainted that uh, objective kind of thing. And even though it seemed objective, you, you, we've got this academic who's who's uh, uh, who you should be able to trust. When you think, okay, he's academic, he's done his homework, uh, and then some. So his assessments of Suspects or whatever, you would think that, uh, yeah, what what he says, I would believe, which I did. You know, I did. I I was uh, I, I you know he when it came, especially when it comes to Kosminski, I after I'd read that, I'm like, there's absolutely no chance that 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 this guy was involved in anything. I have a I have a different opinion now, and it's uh, to me just personally to me, I think it's it's just a shame that he had to put those. In there, because you know, in my opinion, that it tainted. But otherwise, no. That that's that that is at the top. That that uh, it, that that's yeah. That's well at the top. John, I have to ask. Um, I'm a member of the world famous Ghost Club. Um, Charles Dickens was a member. Wilkie Collins, Arthur Conan Doyle. So I have to ask you. All those nights you spent in the Ten Bells, did anything odd happen? I wish that I could say yes. 
because I was scared out of my wits on many occasions for absolutely no reason. Uh, because, I mean, I could, I could, you know, I had the run of the place. And a lot, a lot of times it was just basically members of staff who, who lived there. And sometimes there was only a, a couple. So, I mean, I could wander. And I did creep, creep down those stairs and, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning in, in the bar. And you just, any little sound you hear, you're like, well, what is that? Where is that? You know, I, I was never pushed down the stairs like I've heard some people have still stories about being pushed down the stairs uh, by a ghost. Uh, I So, yeah, without mentioning any names, but uh, uh, it, I, I, unfortunately, because I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic, but I want to believe. I want to believe, you know, but I need to I need to see something to believe it. And uh, even though I maybe. I don't, <laughs> you know, uh, but no, I mean, you, you can look back at the videos and you see those, what is it, uh, uh, the, the ghost hunters when they do everything in night shot and super night shot, where you see specks of dust and things flow. Oh, it's an orb. It's an orb. Orbs. I've got orbs up the yin yang <laughs> on videotape. Okay. But I'm thinking specks of dust it's whatever but it looks really creepy in night shot everything looks creepy in night shot but uh yeah unfortunately i um i didn't i no i'm nothing nothing for you i wish i did oh. uh, yeah, i was just wondering if you've taken an interest in or studied any equivalent uh, american crime mysteries such as dd cooper or the zodiac killer or thoughts or theories on any i think most of this most of uh my interest in those other cases were all because they were on the periphery. You know, you, if, if you're interested, I mean, because I was never really interested in crime or criminals or murder or anything like that. You know, Halloween, yeah, that's a different story. Uh, so the, the more you get into this, the more you're exposed to these other different things. And you can find uh, things that, that are that are uh, um, that are relative I think the ones that intrigue me, some of the ones that intrigue me the most are uh, like the Green River Killer, like Gary Ridgway. I think there are a lot of parallels to, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that probably, that are. I mean, you can't, I mean, serial killers aren't, there's not a mold, you know, they're all different. I think there are a lot of parallels with Ridgway and, and the Jack the Ripper crimes. Uh, and I've looked into, you know, I, you know, yeah, it's, I've branched out, I, uh, the, uh, Ted Bundy and uh, uh, Charles Manson. It was the most absolute, most brilliant documentary I've ever seen just came out. And it was on this, the two part, the two epi part episode. And that was the most sobering, really. Uh, uh, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's not that's not. The Lost Tapes, the Manson, the Lost Tapes. It was it was uh, it was called. And uh, and uh, that, that that case is that that case is um, has intrigued me. But, but there are there there are, there aren't many real parallels other than brutal, um, absolutely unnecessary murder. Well, I guess there's not really much necessary murder, but uh, you know, I mean, things yeah, peripheral things like that. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's drawn me into certain things, but I'm most interested if there's something that I can glean from these cases that relates to this for some reason, which is, you know, much more of an, a, a, a specialized obsession, you know, or what have you, you know, I mean, it's, it's, and, and it's not just, I mean, there's, there's, 
again, that, that American allure from being an American or whatever, uh, it's not just about the, the, the murders themselves or who it was or whatever. Uh, the East End, the history, everything like that, it's just, it, it's, it's, but as far as, as, far as crime goes, uh, yeah, I've, 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 I've touched on things here and there, and yeah, I could go into my you know, bookshelf and see, see certain things. I, th- I think, though, Ridgeway intrigues me. Uh, probably uh, more than more than uh, most other cases. Although now I mean, there's no shortage of, of 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 cases that you can compare. I mean, unless a, if you're in the states, unless a serial killer uh, murders your neighbor, you're not even going to know about it because there's just not enough time to report all these things. It's, it's ridiculous that Long Island serial killer. I mean, that's a pretty intriguing case. I think too, but I don't I don't follow I don't follow the the details as much about modern stuff. I saw some statistics not long ago, um, and since 1980, there's been something like 150-something serial killers in the world. I mean, obviously there will be some countries where we wouldn't know, but in the kind of known world, about 150-odd. And something like 40-50% of those have come from the states, I, 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 um, I've and heard. the states occupies about five percent of the population of the world. So, it, 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 yeah, vastly disproportionate. There is a very inexplicable um, defect in the culture that I mean, you hear about guns, and I'm I'm American, so I mean, I'm not sure. You know, maybe I'm a prime example of that defect. I don't know, but there's there's something inherently violent about that society you think well it's it's all about guns it's not all about guns canadians have guns too i mean their their gun laws are are fairly lax and you don't see that kind of thing uh, so it's 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 really really hard to get your head around why this is but it's really it's 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 very broad in its in its scope and yeah I, i've heard that 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 uh it, the, the percentages are probably higher as far as that stuff well, it goes because I mean there's, there's also so so many uh, serial killers operating you'll never hear about them because you there people go missing you don't hear anything more about it and some of them are better at others than hiding bodies it's 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 there's really really something something strange and inexplicable going on and I don't mean you know cosmically or anything there's something culturally somehow has has got in there. It's, it's an interesting debate, though. Yeah. Are, are there any other questions? Before? Yes, Ed. Um, it, it strikes me you you were living in um, that area when it was in a bit of a hiatus period between the closure of the market and the redevelopment of uh, Spitalfields, which we see now. And it's just a bit of an observation. When I, I lived in the East End a lot before that, and every say normal people. <laughs> normal, most normal people in the East End avoided that area because it was a dossy area full of dossy, the pubs were dossy. Like you get bits in your pints from the pub. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure that's probably that's I probably have some chemical imbalance from the beer I was drinking there. From the, yeah. Well, the commercial tavern. I never went there once because I, I never liked the beer in there. Well, I didn't like the beer in there. All those pubs, including the sea darts, all of them were regarded by the dossy dossholes, and people avoided it. And in a, in a slight way, it's better now. Oh, oh, no, in in a big way, it's better now. I mean, as far as cleanliness goes, as far as safety goes, uh, as far as quality goes, 
uh, you know, they, they probably, most of the pubs probably clean their taps regularly, you know, as opposed to waiting till nothing comes out before you, you know, snake it like a drain pipe or something like that. Um, but, but this was my, uh, I mean, I wasn't a, a super big, uh, I didn't go, I, I didn't, I don't, I never went to pubs or, or bars. You don't really get pubs in the States. You have, you have bars that call themselves pubs. You have some that may look like a pub on the outside, some that may look like a pub on the inside, but that's one thing that's really, really hard to find. And so it, it, it probably, yeah, I, I probably drank a lot of really bad beer. Uh, back then, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the difference because I, I, I wasn't drinking the same kind of this, the same kind of beer. So I'm like, well, I guess this is what it's supposed to taste like, right? And if you pound enough of them, they all taste good, you know. But no, abs- absolutely, it's uh, uh, from a health and safety standard. Yeah, the pubs are, are are much improved, you know, even from you know '95 or whatever, you know. But there is something, there is something that that. Uh, I, I, it's just a mem- it's the memories so the 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 dirtiness and the that kind of stuff was just kind of the st- the story you could tell when you went home you know so it kind of in a way it kind of added yeah i went to this place and i hung out there and there's these weird people and yeah and and uh yeah really yeah it, it's uh yeah it's it's better today i i have a I, you know not for, not for me personally but yeah. Overall, I think yeah, it is. But we were all sighing when you showed your photographs. You all sighing at your videos. Right. Just one last question, so that poor old John can <laughs> relax oh, his no, voice, I got, right? I but, got yeah. another full pipe right Oh, right. Coming. <laughs> John, uh, did you ever go in the old Roebuck? I did not. I oh. did not. And, and it's funny because I... One of my, one of my, when I first started going into the Ten Bells, and I'd met Don uh, Rumbelo, and fortunately had the chance to sit down with him a couple of times. And I mean, that was like, I mean, you want to talk about rock star experience for me back in 1995? This was just like, and you could go home, I could run home and go, I met Donald Rumbelow. And people were like, really? Yeah? <laughs> what does he do? What band does he play in? You know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'd, I'd asked him because at the time I only kind of I didn't really stray too far from the path because I knew it was kind of a dodgy area, and I knew most of the most of the tours you know up and down Commercial Street they kind of you know Mitre Square whatever but nobody went to Buckshow no tours went there back then I mean zero unless it was a personal thing there wasn't a, there wasn't a tour company that took tours down there and I asked him about it one time. I said, um, you know, I've never been to Bucks Row. He said, and I said, you know, what do you think? He said, yeah, there's nothing there to see. And, you know, re- regrettably, I, because I, I'm not sure what time, when the robot closed, but it had to be right around 94, 95. Because it was, that, it, yeah. Yeah. So I'd missed that opportunity, but, but I mean, he said, ah, there's nothing to see there. When, when in fact, that's actually one of the murder sites that actually has something that was there at the time. But, I don't know. So I, you know, I missed I missed the Roebuck. No photos, yeah, no, no, nothing pity. like that. Oh, it's been many a lovely night there. Oh, that's that's great, Bill. Thanks very much. Well, can we say thank you so much, John, for an absolutely brilliant evening and your your anecdotes and your fantastic pictures and film uh, have have just been great. So thank you very very much. Well, the, the thanks should go to the room for 
for, for, for putting up with me and also <laughs> for, for the people who asked me to speak here because it really, it, really, it really is a big deal. And that was John Malcolm at the Whitechapel Society's October 2018 meeting. The slideshow that accompanied John's talk is available to download on this episode's page in the podcast section on Casebook. We would like to thank John Malcolm, Steve Ratty, Frog Moody, Ruby Vitorino, Sue Perry and the committee of the Whitechapel Society for making the release of this talk possible. For more information on the Whitechapel Society, please visit their website, whitechapelsociety.com, where you'll find out how to become a member, get information about their future meetings, purchase books and subscribe to their Whitechapel Society journal. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by casebook.org, where you'll find over 100 roundtable discussions, author interviews and conference presentations all about Jack the Ripper and Victorian crime. And if you have any comments or questions about our podcasts, feel free to find us on the Casebook message boards or on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast.